All right, folks, this show is sponsored by Anchor. A while back, we switched over to Anchor as our hosting platform for Panel to Panel. And to be honest, it's actually been one of the best experiences we've had when it comes to hosting our podcast. A lot of people think making a podcast is super difficult, but Anchor actually allows you to record and edit your podcast all on your phone if that's what you want to do. Anchor even helps you get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places like that. That way you can get your podcast to a wide audience of different people. And the best part about it, it's totally free. So go ahead, check out Anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app on your phone or through the App Store or the Google Play Store and check it out today. Now let's turn the page and get to this week's episode of Panel to Panel. What's going on, good people of the internet? It is time for OnComicsGrounds.com's flagship podcast, Panel to Panel, where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such. We are back once again, once again, with a brand new episode for you folks. This is actually us redoing some old stuff, but we are back once again, uh, like going back at it and talking about the history of all things. Our resident comic historian, Mary, is going to be giving us an amazing lesson for us this evening. And I am very excited for it because comic history is some of my favorite stuff to talk about. So we're going to get right into it. But before we do, don't forget, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, YouTube, all those great places. We're still waiting on iHeartRadio, but you know what? We'll give them a little bit of a break because we have a pandemic going on. And you can also follow us on Twitter at PTP underscore podcast. And you can follow the website on Comics Ground on Twitter and Instagram at on Comics Ground. And check out the website on comicsground.com. Put some hyphens between those words where you can check out all of our previous content like reviews, opinion pieces, previews, all that great stuff. All right. My name is James Portis. To my left, we have the man who has the greatest afro in all the land, who has finally joined the amazing uh, League of Extraordinary Laid Off Folk. How are you doing today? I don't know about greatest in all the land. I look like light skinned right? Frederick Douglass right now. <laughs> Well, shit. All right. <laughs> that, that, that'd be a great cosplay to do. It would, because my hair always falls in that weird, like, bob that never goes past my ears when it's all fucking yes. dry and shit. <laughs> so that might be something to look into. Shit. See, see now, now, now at least you can live in a world where, like, especially after the Disney sing-along, that, like, you can live in a world where Corbin Blue's hair is short, so no one can compare y'all no more. Oh God, I'm so done with that in my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> like his hair was so short on the friggin' sing along, I was like, "What happened to you? Your hair used to be luscious." But anyway, to my right, we have the amazing, kick-ass lesbian herself, who is uh, like also the greatest person to handle a bottle of whiskey you'll ever meet. Uh, Mary, how are you doing this evening? I'm okay. Like I said, I'm like I said earlier, I'm just really tired. <laughs> I need just like a forty-year nap. 
That would be glorious. I freaking had a migraine earlier. I literally woke up, was in pain, and went back to bed for like five more hours. And it, it, it was just, whew. But now I'm sipping on my mimosa cider. I am enjoying myself. We are going to get into this amazing topic. So, Mary, take us back in time. Teach us the ways of the force. Uh, well, I mean, if I have to. <laughs> okay. So we tried to record this episode a little episode a little bit ago but you know some audio stuff went wonky so we're going to revisit it tonight and we are going to talk about uh the birth and ultimately and death if you will of the comics code authority um ever since the introduction of comics as we know them in the late 30s uh criticism of the medium was absolutely rampant um but the criticism of comics actually died down when the U.S. entered World War II after the attack, of, after the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. Um, as a result of this, you know, the, the few comics that did exist before um, 1940 immediately turned into star-spangled propaganda aimed at children and teens. So to put it in perspective a little bit, you know, Superman, which... Um, <clears throat> Action Comics number one premiered in 1938 and then in 1941. So he only had actually a few years before the, we entered the war. And of course, you know, World War I famously officially started in 1939. Um, but they quickly became propaganda and they preached the dangers of Italian fascism, Nazism, and Japanese, Japanese imperialism while promoting the quote-unquote American exceptionalism and a wholly ironic sense of American egalitarianism. Buy those war bonds! Um, however, when the war ended and the need for propaganda uh, was over, the criticisms returned. Uh, the criticism eventually gave, ride, gave rise to persecution and would lead to censorship that lasted for decades. First, uh, let's jump in with a little bit of history. I do want to point out that comics were not completely unregulated before the Comics Code Authority. Uh, the Association of Comics Magazine Publishers um, was an American industry trade group that was formed in 1947 to regulate uh, the content of comic books in the face of public criticism during the time. And um, <clears throat> it had its own, you know, vague, I'm using air quotes here, uh, publisher code that served as a template for the comics code. So from, let's be generous here and say 37 to 46, there really was nothing. And that's why if you read um, Golden Age comic books from the 40s, they're actually, they're, they're pretty out there. But it's not like the CCA was the only form of censorship and regulation that they had. Um, the... American comic magazine publishers uh, was disbanded in 1954 following the release of Frederick Wortham's book, using air quotes here, Seduction of the Innocent, and the congressional yeah. hearings and the congressional hearings that followed after that. Yes, the whole thing went before Congress. Um, the Comics Code Authority was officially implemented in September of 1954 by the Comics Magazine Association of America. 
And I feel that it's necessary to point out that even with the, um, the I, honestly, like the small moral panic that seduction of the innocent caused, um, that the uh, CCA was not government censorship. Comics came very close to government censorship. But um, the Comics Code Authority was actually developed by the publishers at the time. So to avoid that, because Congress was ready to step in. I think a good, for, a good like comparison could be like how the gaming industry created the ESRB. Yes. But um, do, do, do. Uh, New York Mad New York Magistrate Charles F. Murphy um, was a specialist in juvenile delinquency. He tapped to head the organization to devise a self-policing quote code of ethics and standards for the industry. He established the CCA, basing its code on the largely unenforced uh, code drafted by the. Um, I can't even read my own notes. How dare you not read your own notes? <laughs> I know, I told you I need a 40-year nap. <laughs> but basically, um, like I said earlier, the foundation of the CCA was based off of the Association of Comic Magazine Publishers that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Uh, and so, so that's just kind of the academic crap right out of the way. Because, you know, that's really riveting stuff right there. It kind of is, to be honest. I'm sure my sexy monotone makes it all the more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> my allergies are also acting up, so. Same, bro. But uh, let, let's jump into the nitty gritty of the Comics Code Authority. Because uh, in Wortham's book, we will ha we'll have to uh, do a proper episode on seduction here real soon. But... Um, Seduction talked about just the the overall um, societal destruction that comics was going to cause. Um, can, can I read a quote? Shoot. The relationship of Batman and Robin was like a wish dream of two homosexuals living together. Ugh. Exactly. Jesus. Now, most of, because Seduction of the Innocent is actually more than just comic books, but um, when talking about the CCA, you really don't need to look at anything outside of the comic books. But it was uh, crime comics that Wortham was, had particularly taken an interest in because, you know, he felt that the crime comics were going to um, cause children to become juvenile, rapacious criminals. But he still managed to take pot shots at superheroes, specifically Superman, Batman and Robin, and Wonder Woman. The quote James just read, you know, Wortham accused Batman and Robin of being gay in the sense of pederasty that you saw in um, ancient Greece. Just, if you don't know what it is, just Google it. I don't really want to have to spell it out right now. Um Superman was a fascist along the lines of the Nazis. Um, he compared Superman to Nietzsche's principle of the Ubermensch, if you will. Uh, At one point in the book, he even snarkily says that um, he's surprised that it's not, you know, Superman doesn't have the SS on his chest. 
and Wonder Woman, which, you know, my personal favorite, um, that Wonder Woman's rejection of traditional gender roles and, you know, stepping out of the bounds of a woman was going to encourage girls to be willful, um, disobedient, and turn them into lesbians. So, I guess I kind of prove right. Yeah. I am a willfully disobedient lesbian, so. How dare you? I know. But um, Congress actually took an interest in this because there's a senator whose name I don't remember off the top of my head. He was a very strong anti-crime senator. You know, he was trying to bust out the um, the gangs from the 30s and whatnot. So that that was really his focus. And when he saw a very easy uh, um, thing to stamp out with crime comics, he took a very big interest in that. And that's when the comic industry is like, shit, if we want to survive, we need to do something. And this is why 1954 is officially marked as the end of the golden age of comics and the birth of the silver age. So let's talk about what the Comics Code Authority actually prohibited, which is essentially everything fun. And this isn't everything. This is just, this is a few things. So the the CCA prohibited dozens of themes and events, and I'm just going to rattle a couple off. Uh, The presentation of policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions in such a way as to create disrespect for an established authority. But it added the requirement that, in, that quote, in every instance, good shall triumph over evil and discouraged instances of law enforcement officers dying as a result of criminal activities. Specific restrictions were placed on the portrayal of kidnapping and concealed weapons. Uh, Depictions of, quote, excessive violence were forbidden, as were, quote, lurid and unsavory gruesome illustrations. Mm. So the cops always had to win. The criminals couldn't hurt the cops. Um, It also specifically banned all mentions of any kind of a drug and drug-related storylines were banned. Uh, This will come back into play later. So Don't forget werewolfism. Yes, don't forget werewolfism. Uh, The CCA also banned depictions of sex perversion, sexual abnormalities, and illicit sex relations, as well as seduction, rape, sadism, uh, and masochism were all strictly forbidden. Love stories were enjoined to emphasize, quote, the sanctity of marriage. And and, uh, those portraying passionate uh, that were uh, portraying more passionate scenes were advised to avoid stimulating, and I quote, lower and baser emotions. Um. Now, this one will also be important later, so just keep those two in mind. And horror, horror and crime comics were banned entirely. Uh, vampires, werewolves, ghouls, zombies, you know, ironically, the, the, the staple monsters of horror comics. I mean, just look at, you know, um, even outside of comics, you, you have you know, Dracula, uh, Frankenstein, all of these massive horror novels. You have the movies from the 30s, but nope, they were banned outright. And in addition to this, comics could not use the words horror 
horror or terror in their titles. Uh, wow. The use of the word crime was also subject to numerous restrictions. Now, th- that's not even everything. That That is just some stuff. Mm. And um, how the code would work is that members would submit their... Com- uh, publisher members would submit their comics to the CCA, which then screened them for adherence to the code and then authorized the use of their seal on the cover of the book uh, if it was found to be compliant. At the height of its influence, it was the de facto censor for the US comic book industry. And it would go from 1950, this would go unchanged from 1954 until 1971, where we see our first challenge. and the first chip in the exterior of the CCA. Interesting. So that's the the how, the who, the what, the where, why. And let's get into the fun part where we get to slowly watch it fall to pieces over the years. Um, so uh, how Marvel forced the revising of the code in 1971 and then how DC would come up to kneecap it entirely in 1989. Do you guys have uh, any comments, questions before we move into the fun stuff? I, I'm just, I'm still blown away by the idea that, like, like, yeah, there's those cheesy, like, moments in the comics that, like, people can pull material from, but the idea that Batman and Robin were, were like, an ambiguously gay duo, as the joke is, like, I don't really see, like, not only would that have been pedophilia, but, like, why would you make a statement like that like yeah there's the reports of like Wortham went to like prisons and interviewed kids but where does he get that evidence from is something that I really want to start looking into as like another episode well the um his interviews and data collected for the book has been completely chipped apart it was really shitty collected data and I've seen some uh academic accusations of that he just plum made some of it up that this, oh, that this was you know, no that has that that's you know that's an accusation that's alleged. I ha- I have found no definitive proof that he did, and even if he did, I don't think we'd ever know. But this was pure pearl clutching puritanical panic, and wow. the, the the book's release. I mean, people were freaked the hell out about it because I mean, you know, they'd been buying their kids all of these comics just a few years ago. And then all of a sudden, it's crime, death, rape, blah. immorality, and impurity. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying that crime, rape, and death are a good thing. No, those are objectively no. bad. But, yes. but I mean, you know, it's just so. It, it's basically um, the easiest way to describe it is the um, panic around video games that popped up after the Columbine shooting in 1999. And it's still heavily prevalent to this day. And it's still heavily prevalent to this day. Um, because, you know, there was the, the, uh, the massacre at Columbine High School, and one of the shooters talked about how he wanted it to look like a level in Doom. And, you know, this is the late 90s when the industry is really starting to kick off into the modern age. And people, you know, found found uh, the diary entries. It was reported uh, to the news and immediately took after the video game industry for it. And so that's why we've seen study after study come out saying that video games do not necessarily 
cause an uptick in violence. I mean, as someone who has played both Doom and Doom Eternal, like, yeah, it's satisfying tearing a demon in half with a chainsaw, but I don't have an urge to go out and tear my neighbor in half with a chainsaw. Like, If I remember correctly, that account is from old school Doom, not the Dooms that you're playing. Oh, no, I, oh, no, I know, but like, I don't know it's being <laughs> dramatic because it's funny. Like, like the like the idea, and like, I've seen, I've read like a lot of the studies that say all this bullcrap, like Call of Duty caused half the school shootings in the past few years and stuff like that. Like, come on, guys. Like, I remember, what was it? Uh, the recent shootings we had in the past, like during 2019, there was the, the footage of Trump actually saying, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta re- regulate video games," and he was trying to like also piggyback violence onto the microtransaction situation. And I'm like, "No, sir, no, this is a totally different issue." I mean, and that was an ironic misstep for him because even large chunks of his base enjoy violent video games. Yep. But I do think special praise needs to be paid uh, to EC Comics. And EC was famous for their crime and terror comics. And in the April-May issue of Suspense Stories, they dropped what is known as the most infamous cover in comic book history. Uh, Suspense Stories number 22, the cover features a man holding an axe... And in his other hand is the head of the woman he just decapitated. Mm-hmm. It is. It, I mean, it, it, it's gruesome. You could you could Google it. Like it is a very gruesome cover, and they slipped this out right before the CCA was founded. And uh, the book itself these days is so rare and so expensive; it is ungodly. Damn. I had a friend who uh, uh, works at a comic shop and she sent me a picture because some guy brought it in. He had a copy and he brought it in. And she's Whoa. like, it's this book. <laughs> but, um, and after the uh, CCA was released, uh, EC went out of business very soon after, if I remember correctly. So, but, uh, you know, gruesome details aside... But, you know, the the video game debate following Columbine is probably one of the easier modern comparisons I can make. Yes, there was no disaster to back up Wortham's claims, but the moral panic surrounding the two mediums was the same with the comics and video games. That's the comparison I'm trying to make. I just want to make that clear. Right. Well, I mean, like, the the sad truth is that since then, we do have like a tragedy compared to. I believe it was Aurora, Colorado, where the, the yeah. dude was claiming yeah. to be the Joker. The Batman shooter. Yeah. That shit was whack. Them mm-hmm. and Congress would have had a field day if that kind of stuff happened around his time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was that was a weird one for me. And I'm not trying to say that any of these shootings aren't weird, but um, I had gone to see the midnight release of the movie as well. And so we leave the theater and we're talking about the movie. And then um, standing outside the theater, a lot of people are staring at their phones and freaking the hell out because that's when the news started to hit. Damn. Yeah. So that was, that one was intense. 
I think but, the only like close comparison to the situation could possibly be like the the, the the demonic comparison that a lot of people made to Magic the Gathering back in the day. But even then, the the, the idea of trying to say that comics or video games or magic could be the, the the reason why children are running amok in society is just kind of dumb. Like I said, it's all puritanical panic. Hmm. But um, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump back into it before we dive too far into depression and horror and whatnot. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, in 1971, Marvel Comics was the first to issue um, a real challenge to the CCA. Um, according to uh, CMAA files, Marvel asked for permission to publish a Spider-Man story arc about drug abuse, but was very quickly denied. The, uh, the request, however, triggered a review of the code, and revisions were crafted in December of 1970, and publishers agreed that a new code would go into effect on February 1st of 1971. The 1971 code relaxed restrictions on crime comics and lifted the ban on horror comics. Um, it still prohibited the use of the words uh, horror and terror in titles, um, however. Also, the liberalized standards on sex reflected changes in society. Because, I mean, we had the sexual revolution of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Spider-Man controversy, the CMAA added a section on how to handle the depiction of drug use. And so here are some bits of the uh, 1971 code. All scenes of horror and excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadomasochism, etc., etc., still prohibited. All lurid, unsavory, gruesome, uh, gruesome illustrations uh, shall be eliminated. Uh, the inclusion of stories dealing with evil. Uh, shall be used or shall be published only where the intent is to illustrate a moral issue and and in no case shall evil prevail or be presented alluringly <laughs> nor so oh as God. to injure the sensibilities of the reader. So, that's, it's just ugh, bland storytelling and this is why I actually have a very strong dislike for the Silver Age. Fair enough. Uh, the scenes dealing with or instruments associated with the walking dead torture shall not be used. Vampires, ghouls, and werewolves shall be permitted to be used when handled in classic traditions such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high caliber literary works. Um, and, uh, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Conan Doyle, other respected authors whose works are read in schools around the world. Narcotics or drugs Drug addiction shall not be presented except as a vicious habit. Um, narcotics or drug addiction or the illicit traffic in addiction producing narcotics uh, shall be shown or depicted if the uh, presentation A um, tends in any manner to encourage, stimulate, or justify the use of these um, substances. Stress- stresses visually or by text or dialogue their temporary attractive effects or C, suggests that narcotics or drug habit can be quickly or easily 
I mean, it just, it, it goes on from there. <laughs> um, uh, emphasize the profits of narcotics or drug traffic, you know, involves kids who were uh, selling or using drugs. Like, so pretty much everything except drugs are bad could be shown. Drugs are bad, okay. Hmm. I mean, there there were seven clauses to the an allergy-ridden monitor tone and I really just don't feel like rattling it off because I'm pretty sure at least two people listening to this are already asleep. Nah. But a special meeting of the uh, CMAA was called um, on that date to chastise Marvel. Uh, Charles Goodman, representing the company, promised that after the publication of the Spider-Man issues, uh, they were cover dated from May through July of 1971, the company would not publish any comics without obtaining the seal of approval. Because if I remember correctly, after they were told no, I'm pretty sure Stanley just went ahead and published them anyway, just without the CMA. Because Spider-Man is breaking up a drug ring, I think. Oh. But that was the first time uh, the code was revised. And, you know, it really sounds like these were really minor changes. But, you know, the cracks are beginning to show. And in, 19, in, in 1989, DC takes a baseball bat to the CCA. And th this is such a complicated thing. This is a super streamlined version, believe it or not. But uh, during the late 70s and the early 80s, only four publishers were still active um, under the Comics Code Authority. That was Archie, Marvel, Harvey, and DC. However, a major change in comic book distribution made it possible for publishers to sell comics without the seal of approval. That change was direct market distribution or comic book shops. Ooh. How comics used to work was that wholesalers would deliver comics to retailers along with other magazines to things like newsstands. Because, you know, you could go to the drugstore and pick up comic books, you know, the little spinner racks. Um, these wholesalers served as the enforcement arm of the CCA by agreeing to handle only those comics with the seal. With direct market distribution, distributors who specialized in comic book solicit orders um, and distribute directly to retail outlets. I feel like that sentence doesn't make sense. What happened in my notes? But basically, specialized institutions. Uh, distributors and retailers willing to handle comics without the seal opened the door for publishers who sought to bypass the CCA and its censors. Uh, this freed them from code restraints, and new publishers began to become uh, experimental with their material, including adult-oriented comics, to expand the audience. So was this sort of like the turning point as to where like more specialty shops were coming about? Mm -hmm. uh, the 80s was really the first time that was really the time that we saw the prevalence of comic book stores pop up because I mean I, I don't doubt that there were a handful of stores in the 70s that dealt with a lot of comics but this is where we first really started to see the specialty shops um, the early 80s actually saw a rise in quote in independent publishers and led to a push in 1982 for another revision. 
a draft written by a consultant was hired by the CMAA, um, but was rejected. Archie and Marvel actually favored retaining the 1971 code. Um, Harvey wanted a new code, uh, but warned against any quote-unquote meaningless liberalization, and I, I have no idea what the fuck that means. Travis, are you okay? Yeah. I'm just trying to... Yeah, my allergies are kicking my ass, so I'm trying to mess with my mic volume and working out. See, I'm just kind of like, damn it, I knew I was going to put somebody to sleep. That's what it sounded like. Like, Did Travis fall asleep? No, I'm awake. I'm right here. (laughs) I know not to lay down with you guys in my ears. Like, damn, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'm trying. This fucking mic is not working out for me right now. You good? I'm just glad you're not dead. No, no I'm so alive. No problem. I'm <laughs> I'm stuffed up to high heaven, so I'm right there with you. I just finally got rid of my like sinus issues. I'm starting to like that. I'll be able to breathe again. So I understand. I mean, the super fucked up thing is that it snowed yesterday. Oh, yeah, then, bro, it's no, it started here two days ago. I was like, what the fuck? And then it all melted today, and everything's like, ooh, let's just bloom again. So my allergies ramped up. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. But uh, Harvey, uh, Archie, and Marvel favored retaining the code from 1971. Harvey Comics wanted a new code entirely, but warned against, quote, meaningless liberalization. I, I have no idea what the fuck that means. I don't, like, unless this is some Reaganite communist shit. Oh. However, um, uh, DC wasn't having it. They argued that the 1971 code was, quote, an embarrassment and a hindrance to the creative talent of artists and writers. Hmm. As a result, the CMAA drafted a two-part document that actually met um, DC's demands for broad guidelines. Uh, The, quote, principles of the Comics Code Authority, end quote, uh, contained general statements about violence, language, and uh, other areas of concern. And the second part, the, quote, editorial guidelines, listed specific rules um, for each of the content areas. Uh, the CMAA actually forbid the release of this internal document to the public. So essentially the code went from do not do these specific things to, I mean, uh, maybe don't do this stuff if you don't want to, I guess. So that's, that's kind of what... Um, that's a big-ass drop in restriction there. And now up until this point... Did Mary die? No, Mary, where'd you go? I've been talking this whole time. Oh, you like like dropped out for like a solid like two seconds there. Oh no. Okay. But yeah, like no, that sounds like they just like took all the restriction away after putting it all in there. Okay, so you you got the part where the code went from, like, don't do this shit to, I yeah. mean, maybe don't do this stuff if you don't want yeah. to. We got that part. It's just everything afterwards we just didn't get. 
And now she's gone again. <laughs> no. Addressed directly before. Am I still going out? Well, you just came back at the, at the address before. What the hell? The but, hell. <laughs> but no, the 89 revision removed the bans on homosexuality. And that was huge because this had never really been addressed before. You had some books like Watchmen that, you know, alluded to it as best and as murdery as they could. Thank you, Alan Moore. And, you know, there was a lot of subtext. And even before the revision in 89, DC was pushing the envelope very heavily. They actually had multiple gay characters that they're like, you know, doing everything but, you know, dropping banners and glitter. Because, you know, famously you had Extraño, which is largely considered to be the first gay, like, openly closeted gay character, if that makes any sense. He was, um very flamboyant in a way that North Star was not, if that makes any sense at all. And um, Maggie Sawyer at this time uh, had also been introduced into the Superman comics and uh, they really make no attempt to cover up that she is the gay. That she is the gay. (laughs) She has the gay. She has the gay. But, so, I mean, DC had been pushing the gay envelope, you know, throughout a decent chunk of the 80s. And um, on Seduction, we actually did an entire episode about Extraño. And um, it, it is interesting that in the comic, DC cannot address his sexuality. It is very flamboyant. He talks like a drag queen from the 80s. But... In the letters, in the back of the comics, they are very, very upfront about it. Mm. I mean, they talk specifically about him being gay. Like, he is gay. Gay, 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 gay. Like, so it's just, you know, uh, researching Extraño for that episode and then reading these letters, they are great. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just you have you know, uh, uh, largely gay men because Extraño was a gay man. A lot of them are excited. You know, some of them are angry at his presentation. And there's one issue that has like this great pearl clutching Catholic guy who's throwing a fit about it. Think of the children. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what his entire letter is, is think of the children. But uh, after the 89 revision um, in the 90s, DC just dumped all the gay, all of the gay in their comic books. Because, I mean, you know, you had The Flash with Pied Piper, then you had, um, oh my god, what's his name? Kyle Rayner's young boy sidekick. I don't know. I'm not Green Lantern enough to know about that one. But um, I do not remember the character's name off the top of my head, but he's a teenage boy who's friends with Kyle Rayner, um, actually gets viciously beaten for being gay. Um, In in Ostrander's Suicide Squad, uh, their mechanic is gay. Like um, I'm reading that. Constantine ends up coming out. So the the 90s was just a very gay period for DC. 
And um, not only, you know, all gayness aside, they got to introduce um, much heavier storylines, like, you know, the, uh, the infamous death of Superman, which is very, very intense. I'm still trying to figure out how they got away with Crisis. Yeah. But um, after the 89 revision, the CCA, as it had been, was pretty much dead. Um, Marvel kicked it in the shin in about 2001 when they left the CCA in favor of their own in-house rating system. Fair. Now, now, here's the interesting thing. DC stuck with the code until 2011. Oh, shit. But, you know, the code after the 89 revision was almost nothing like it had been but they left the co- they left the CCA uh, in favor of their own in-house rating in 2011 and Archie actually followed very soon after and uh, Harvey Comics went defunct in 1994 so their opinion, their opinion really didn't matter it doesn't matter what you want but if you look at a modern comic book you see the rate it you know like rating you know t t plus whatever that's the in-house rating system that replaced the comics code and those ratings all by themselves are a whole other thing that i have bitched about in the past but uh in 2011 the cca was officially declared dead Today, uh, publishers regulate the content of their own comics. Uh, the intellectual property property rights to the infamous seal of approval was required by the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And they are fun. They are necessary. Uh, they are a nonprofit organization that fights to protect the First Amendment rights of comic creators, publishers, and retailers um, covering legal expenses. So, you know, if somebody tries to take a lawsuit against a comic book writer for saying something, you know, the CBLDF will step in and say, fuck you. They are essentially the ACLU for comic books. They are but, amazing. Oh, no, they're, they're great. And I love them. And they are perfect. Mostly perfect. But uh, and that is the tumultuous monotone and stuffed up history of the Comics Code Authority. Travis, what are your thoughts on all this? Oh my god. I just... I don't know, man. Why do people try to censor things like this all the damn time? Think of the children, Travis. Think of them! But your children aren't gonna be more or less gay if from the media they consume. In fact, you holding them back is gonna drive them to more extremes. At least that's the kid I was. I mean, it's not even about the gay stuff. It's like the drugs, the violence, the horror, uh, the women's independence. Hell, think of the children, Travis. I mean, Batman's first issue, he beat a man through a guardrail into a vat of acid and went, ah, fuck it. It's what he gets. (laughs) That happened! I love 30s Batman. So I, I don't know, man. It's hard for me to really wrap my head around it when comics kind of started in a manner where they were already pretty fucking dark. True. Well, I mean, in um, in Action Comics number one, uh, Superman actually busts up a domestic violence situation. And, you know, the husband, he throws him against the wall and says, you're not fighting a woman now, and then promptly beats the shit out of him. 
Damn. Right. Like, that's not a very... Like, what about little Timmy that didn't want to see Mommy and Daddy fight and now has Clark Kent beat the shit out of his dad? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just... It, it all feels like a weird runaround to try to protect the children, but it's really more so about adult sensibilities at the time, which were also heavily flawed. Well, also, I mean, after World War II we immediately entered into the Cold War, so there was a huge step to the right. Yep. But I mean, like, you know, the the, the, the crazy, right? I, I'm digging a hole here. But, you know, there was a huge step towards um, social conservatism, I guess is a better way to put that. Because, you know, right. scares and lefties and commies, and we need to... You don't want to be a damn commie, and lefties are damn commies. Exactly. You damn communist. Which is, it's it's pretty wild to me, because, like, I, I've seen and heard, like, little tidbits where, like, blue jeans in Russia were, like, a sign of rebellion over there, you know what I mean? And it's like, we're not, we're not that cool, guys. <laughs> That's definitely true. <laughs> yeah, do I don't know, man. We do some things right, but I just can't think of what they are. Uh. (laughs) (coughs) No, just like, I, and now that we're in this weird ass age where you see the current landscape of comics, like, like, not like, oh, like the pandemic side, but like the, the era, I guess, before what just happened, happened, where you had the nonsense of alt-right movements coming in and trying to push their, their their mindset, almost like they're trying to institute their own version of the CCA, like, no gay shit, no, like, women can't be this way, and yada yada. It's almost like re- history don't try to repeat itself in a weird way. Yeah, I'd say so. And, like, a, a weird, like, other half of that is with the, the resurgence of... I'll quote the old terms, uh, lefty, liberalistic comic books. <laughs> you get you get things like um, like Nick Spencer's Captain America, for example, where he's, he's trying to be really left-leaning, but it comes off real, real preachy, and yeah. sales actually suffer. You know what I mean? And, it's, and they don't suffer for any of the reasons that this comic book commission thought they may have suffered. They suffered because the people who won't like follow that lifestyle just complain too damn much yeah oh sam wilson right like why can't i have a cheesy black guy fighting like police brutality but i can have a cheesy cigar smoking white guy with you know a crazy light machine gun mowing down a whole cop station and this movie's patriotic and awesome (laughs) i i I wish that book was so much better than it, than it, than, it, than I thought it was when I first read it. You know, same. It's, it's also how I felt about Fred Van Lint's post Shadowland Power Man and Iron Fist. <laughs> I'll oh, never no. forgive him for that. Uh, Mary, you should go listen to one of the one of the, like, to the, uh, the, the the preview episode of uh, Blur Grounds where me and Travis ripped into that shit. <laughs> oh lord I kind of want to do an episode about those five issues one of these so I'm bad. down shit we can do it next it's week so bad it's literally like I'm an angry ass young black kid and I'll never do what you say and then like towards the end he's like hey uh <clears throat> master I need your help 
It's like, all right, this is poorly written. <laughs> Who fucking co-signed this? I'm down. We can do that. Okay, so I guess I guess that's next week's episode. Um, all right, uh, Mary, is there anything you want to end this on before we wrap up? Mary, did you die? Um, Mary, I'm here. I'm here. Hold your horses. Yes. Don't Let's... die on us, Mary. We need you. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's. Um, but uh, I don't know. Comic history is both absolutely fascinating and ridiculously boring and litigious all at the same time. So I'll have to try. And see, I, I, I see how people can see it as boring, but I love listening to this shit. Like, I mean, you know, talking in a bland voice about comic censorship isn't really all that sexy of a topic. I mean, but people should still know how to watch out for Karen's Karening. Yes. This is Wortham, the ultimate comic Karen. Oh my yes. god, yes! <laughs> when you level up, you stop being a Karen and you become a... You become a one, you cut out. <laughs> oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, so, so next week's gonna be a fun one, y'all. Uh, don't forget that you can listen to this podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radios, uh, not SoundCloud, I almost said SoundCloud, I don't know why. Um, Spotify, YouTube, all those great things. You can follow us on Twitter at PTP underscore podcast. You can follow the website on Comics Ground on Twitter and Instagram at on Comics Ground. And you can check out the website on comicsground.com with some hyphens between those words for me, please, where you can check out all of our reviews, previews, solicitations, all that great stuff. Uh, Mary, what is your closing statement for this episode of Panel to Panel? Um, Wortham was a Karen? Yes. That's a great way to end that. Travis, what is your closing statement for this episode? I'm gonna gonna springboard off of that and say Wortham is the Grand Wizard of Karens. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. Um, and... My closing statement is that was funny as hell. Um, but also support your local comic book shop in any way you can. Do some mail orders. Do some like online shopping through Comicsology if you can. Uh, stay safe, y'all. Wash your damn hands, and we will catch y'all next time right here at Palace Panel. Peace out. <laughs>